ETF Prime is hosted by Nature Racine, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. Web3 is one of the world's fastest growing industries, and the SoFi Web3 ETF is designed to make it easier than ever for investors to put their dollars into the technology they're most excited about. The SoFi Web3 ETF is the first Web3 fund on the market, and it provides investors with access to the companies powering the next tech revolution and driving a decentralized approach to the internet, such as the metaverse and artificial intelligence. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus. A prospectus may be obtained by visiting SoFi Web3 ETF at www.sofi.com slash invest slash ETF slash TWeb. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk and the possible loss of principal. Distribute by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, three fantastic guests this week. Joining me will be Tom Hendrickson, Chief Product and Innovation Officer at Vetify. And we're going to dive into what I think is one of the ETF stories of the year, which is alternative ETFs, especially an ETF like DBMF, the Managed Future Strategy ETF. And there are some others out there that are both performing really well and finally seeing investor interest. Now, obviously, those two things are uh, related, but Tom has some very interesting Vetify data on the alternative ETF space and how advisors are engaging with these ETFs on their platform. So we'll take a look at that and also just have a broader conversation around how these ETFs are viewed and used in portfolios. Should be very interesting. I'll then be joined by Zhang Bui, head of U.S. exchange traded products at NASDAQ, who currently lists well over a trillion dollars in ETF assets, by the way. But I always love visiting with Zhang because she occupies a unique position in ETFs given her role at NASDAQ. So she really has her finger on the pulse of the entire ETF industry. And we're going to discuss some key trends she's seen this year and also start looking ahead to 2023. It is that time of year. So I'm curious to hear uh, what she's watching for moving forward. And I can tell you, uh, she has some very uh, interesting insight into a spot Bitcoin ETF. So I'm sure we'll touch on that as well. And then to close this week, I'll be joined by Christoph Gleisch, President and Chief Investment Officer of Harbor Capital Advisors, who, if you haven't been following their ETF story, 
They entered the ETF market in September of last year, and already they have 11 ETFs with nearly $650 million in assets, uh, quickly becoming a uh, real player here. And overall, Harbor manages some $45 billion in assets, primarily in mutual funds. So uh, yet again, here's another example of a larger asset manager getting involved in ETFs. Uh, we'll certainly discuss that. And then I also want to highlight the Harbor All-Weather Inflation Focus ETF, ticker HGER, Hedger. This is a broad commodity futures ETF, but the index this tracks is using uh, a rules-based methodology, which looks at a commodity's relative inflation sensitivity and the cost of rolling futures position. So there is a bit of a twist here from what you might be used to seeing from commodity futures ETFs. And of course, inflation's been a big concern for investors. So we'll hear how Christoph uh, believes an ETF like this might help. As always, questions or comments, you can find me on Twitter, at Nate Geraci or you can go to etfprime.com. Let's chat with Vetify's Tom Hendrickson. Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. We can deliver value to that advisor because that's what they're telling that they want to engage in. We want to make sure that we're putting the right pieces of content in front of them at the right time. Tom, great having you back on the podcast. Good morning, Nate. How are you? I'm doing well. And so we're going to dive into the world of alternative ETFs, which I, I've got to tell you, it's interesting. So I feel like every year for the past, I, I don't know, five or six years, people would say, this is the year for alternative ETFs. I actually think this was one of my big uh, 2020 ETF predictions, 2020. And uh, every year nothing would happen, right? Not much interest in alternatives. But you look this year, with everything going on in the markets, it does look like uh, alts are finally having a moment. We'll see if it's sustainable. But I, I'll ask you, were you one of these people that kept expecting alts to shine and, and kept being wrong like I was? You know what, Nate? I, I'm probably not as bold with some of my predictions as, as you have been or, or even putting uh, the, the idea of, of eating uh, odd things on the line as it relates to my predictions. Uh, uh, an ode to your spot Bitcoin <laughs> uh, concept there. But so, you, you know what, Nate? What, what is really interesting to me about, about the alt space and, and where it intersects with uh, advisors and client portfolios and ETF wrapper is you know, a couple of things that we have touched on in, in a number of different ways, a, a few like broad dimensions around, you know, just the innovation in the space and the ability to deliver uh, this type of strategy within the ETF wrapper, I think is extremely interesting. And we can talk about that. Also, you know, the, the need and the centrality of education, uh, because these are not uh, plain vanilla products in any way, shape or form. Uh, as you buy them, you really need to understand what you're buying, what they are intended to do and where they fit in the portfolio, all other things I think we could unpack. And then the other, you know, broad overlay is, is, as he's mentioned, um, it's a market environment shift and, and a lot of things have changed. Uh, if you look back even, you know, since 2010 and all the way through 2021, it was a very different market environment in, in a lot of macro ways than the one that we're facing right now. And that requires, um, 
you know, shifts and movements in portfolios and things, uh, for, you know, folks and advisors to think about things differently. And I think that's where, um, you know, what we're seeing is an uptick in research in this area and, and part, partly driven by that, just that. I think all three of those are excellent points. I'll just add, you mentioned the the innovation in the space and the ability of the ETF wrapper to, we, we always use this word, democratize investing, democratize access to strategies that weren't previously available, institutional caliber strategies. I think that's one of the reasons we kept seeing uh, these predictions that alts would finally have their moment just because there was a lot of excitement over the past five or six years that these strategies were being made available to everyone. I, I think that was part of why I got caught up in it. But, uh, Tom, you mentioned the the education. I feel like alts have always had a bit of a uh, mystique around them, right? Not everyone fully understands them, but they're viewed as perhaps more intellectually sophisticated, and so advisors and, and investors would be like, hmm, maybe I should consider a uh, hedge fund replication ETF or whatever. Maybe this would help diversify my portfolio. And, and now they can access these through an ETF. And so the thought would, would be, well, maybe I should since I can access it. But, you know, the, the, the big challenge here, and I still think it's a, it's a really big challenge moving forward, is just understanding these strategies. To my earlier point, I, I think education has been a big hurdle. My question for you is, do you think the uh, complexity of this space has played a role in hindering its growth uh, up, until, uh, up until now, or do you think it's just all been market-related? So you mentioned the market environment shifting. No question that's a big reason why we're seeing interest in these strategies now. But prior to that, do you think the complexity of this space has hindered the growth? So, so it absolutely has, Nate, and, and I'll use some... Um some some hard data to support that so so we just surveyed at betify and this is just in the last four weeks 483 advisors and we were uh, asking them uh, specifically around managed futures which we can get into the detail of, of exactly you know the, the applicability of that within you know the broader sort of alternative lens but we asked if if you haven't allocated to managed futures what prevented you uh, to your point of the hurdles, and, and certainly there is a black box element to, you know, the historical hedge fund, quote unquote, uh, strategies. And, and so part of that gets pulled into uh, this realm. And, and over 61% of, of those 483 respondents either responded complexity, literally that was one of the, the answers for, uh, that they could choose, or they weren't sure where it fit within their portfolio, which I think that you and I could probably agree on is also a bit of a, uh, a synonym for complexity. And so 60% of the reason why this, you know, an advisor is inherently a very sophisticated group of, of uh, asset allocators, it really was that complexity hurdle. So I think you're, you're spot on there and, and, and ultimately, um, as we as we do at Betify across the entire ETF landscape, and as I know you do tirelessly, tirelessly, Nate, is we want to educate and try to break down those hurdles, not necessarily because it's right for everyone, but just for people to understand that these options exist, and in instances where it is right for them or their client portfolio, how to access this this type of strategy. Tom, how are you doing that? Because to, to your point, I mean, this is a complex space, and what I think about Vetify. Uh, you know, one of the primary things you're doing is you are trying to educate advisors and, and investors on the entire ETF world. 
And I, I think it's one thing to do that on something like an equal weighted S&P 500 ETF or, or some bond ETF, but it's a whole other thing to cover something like managed futures. I'm just curious, how are you going about doing that? Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit, Nate, just about philosophically how we approach general education and, and then specifically around some of these more complex topics like managed future strategies. But, you know, first and foremost, Vetify has grown and, and we're, you know, you know, nearly 100 people and, and all focused around how do we deliver value to the world of the folks that are interacting with our digital platform. And then uh, we employ a broad array of, of tools and content and, and learn, like you can think of them as learning environments. So a uh, very healthy webcast business, but we're always thinking of ways that we can innovate and go deeper. And so I'll give you one example of, of where, um, you know, sort of a new way that we can interact with our audience that we've developed over the last year or so. It's actually called a live cast. And so we, 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 we take a group who's attended a webcast, which is a one hour long session dedicated to the education of financial advisors where, you know, our research and, and, and moderators are, are hosting and then providing an opportunity to facilitate an interactive discussion. But then to go one step further, we can carve out a 30-minute, almost diligence-like session uh, where advisors are, are given the opportunity to go deeper on, on a given strategy or, um, you know, suite within someone's portfolio or, or an issuer's portfolio. So it's always things like that. And that's just one example. And, and certainly across the, the platform, we're continually investing in, in our tools and our data feeds and thinking about better ways that we can... Um, provide advisors a number of different avenues through which they can unpack, especially when you say these, these non uh, plain vanilla strategies where, where it, it just it demands um, a deeper dive and, and trying to provide them a, a number of different ways that they can do that, be it tools, content research, or things like I mentioned, like webcasts and livecasts. Well, let's get into some of the data you pulled on alternative ETFs, because I think obviously it will speak to what advisors are are doing around alternative ETFs right now. And I'll just open this up to you, and then maybe we can go back and forth. I also pulled uh, a little bit of data on performance and flows. But what are you seeing right now regarding engagement on the Betify platform around alt ETFs? Well, Nate, you, you spoke to it, and you said that there was um, you know, a bit of a prediction over the last number of years where interest and flows were and, and adoption were really going to spike. And and so I, I, I looked at the data going back through uh, mid-year 2020. And, and so I created a baseline of the fourth quarter of 2020. And then I looked at advisor interest. So this is advisor interest across the Vetify platform for those folks who maybe haven't heard you and I have a conversation, Nate, but we're able to uh, map activity at the advisor level to asset class, for example. And so we're able to look at how much advisor interest um, when they come to the Vetify platform, are they are they casting towards um, content tools and, and, and engaging in things that are alternative in nature? And so I looked at the, the fourth quarter of 2020 and then compared that over the subsequent eight quarters, all through 2021 and including through the fourth quarter, you know, through, I know we're not over the fourth quarter, but the, the fourth quarter data of 2022. And, and what I saw was an extremely discernible trend in terms of the 2021 advisor interest was actually quite flat when when compared against the fourth quarter of 2020. But when we got into this year, calendar year 2022, in the first quarter, we saw a 
30% increase versus the fourth quarter of 2020. And then that trend has persisted. So the second quarter, we actually saw a 60% increase, the third quarter, 62. And then uh, understanding it's not yet a full quarter, we're seeing 70% in the fourth quarter of 22, you know, baseline to the fourth quarter of 2020. So it, it's it's some real uh, demand. And, and, and like we talked about up front is I think there's a lot of drivers that that are um, having advisors do some more uh, depth of research here uh, because the market environment has changed so much, because of the, the innovation within the strategy has evolved so much, and probably because um, a certain component of the advisors have got up the educational curve and, and are, are more willing to um, certainly research this as a component part of their broader portfolio allocation. I think I can guess here, but if you drill down further into that data, what are some of the uh, underlying ETFs that, that are driving the engagement? Yeah, so a, a couple of ones that I'd highlight really kind of, you know, off the charts engagement. Um, so you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the issuer IMGP has a fund called DBI Managed Futures Strategy ETF, ticker is DBMF. Uh, so that, there's been huge engagement there. Uh, like you said, that that may become in the mix for sure of ETF of the year as it relates to uh, both performance and flows. It's attracted nearly a billion dollars just just within the last 11 and a half, 12 months sort of thing. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's a little bit over a billion dollars. You know, great performance, uh, certainly when compared to a traditional 60-40 up about 25% year to date. So we're seeing, um, you know, upwards of, you know, 450% year over year increase in engagement, but also on the quarterly level um, where the, the numbers are a bit larger, you know, quarter over quarter, it's up about 70%. So strong demand signal there for advisors to uh, more deeply research that strategy. The other one that I'd call out is, is from uh, Crane Shares. So they've got uh, a fund called KFA Mount Lucas Managed Futures Strategy ETF ticker KMLM is a little bit smaller of a fund. It's about a $300 million fund, but again, you know, amazing amount of flow as a, as a percent of the fund, about $290 million year to date, huge increase in engagement, um, both quarter and quarter or, or quarter over quarter, but also year over year. Uh, those are two that sort of jumped off the page to me, Nate, and those would be component parts of that broader uh, advisor research and, and attention being spent on on uh, the alternative asset class. No, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I've said multiple times, I think DBMF, that's certainly in the running for ETF of the year. You mentioned, you know, up nearly 25% year to date versus the S&P 500, which is down 16%. And again, this thing has taken in around a billion dollars. The KMLM, uh, that's an interesting one because it just launched in December of last year. This is another uh, managed future strategy uh, based on uh, on trend following. And again, up 28% year to date. And, and by the way, for people who are not familiar with managed future strategies, do your homework, go look into these. But, you know, in a nutshell, these will go uh, long and short a variety of asset classes. So they can own equities, fixed income, commodities, currencies, and they primarily use futures or forward contracts. And if you look at these historically, they tend to have a low or, or even a, a negative correlation to stocks and bonds. So they, they fit into that alternative sleeve in a portfolio. A couple other ones that I'll, I'll just mention, Tom, is I was looking at managed futures uh, ETF. So there was another newcomer this year the uh, Simplified Managed Future Strategy ETF, ticker CTA. So that launched in March. 
already nearly $250 million in, uh, in assets. That's up about 13% year to date. And then First Trust has a managed future strategy ETF ticker, FMF. That's up about 6% and has seen 135-ish million in inflows. Total assets in that are about 200 million. And then I'll also uh, mention the Wisdom Tree Managed Future Strategy ETF, ticker WTMF. That's down 4%. That's actually uh, had some outflows, I'm sure, primarily driven by that performance. But if you look at the disparity in performance, just in the ones that we mentioned here, you can see there, uh, there, there's wide dispersion of returns, which I think speaks to the need to look under the hood. The other thing that I'll throw out, I'm, I'm full of stats here today. I saw a, a great stat from Bloomberg's Eric Balchunas uh, on these strategies last week, these CTA strategies, Commodity Trading Advisors, which is that these represent about 70% of all flows into alternative ETFs this year. I thought that was pretty amazing. No, it, it absolutely is, Nate. Um, you know, and so even embedded in that, so CTA is, you know, a, a bit of a evolved uh, term would be managed futures, but, you know, CTA has the word commodity in it and to the point of education, um, just even understanding that th these are certainly not strategies re restricted to taking long or short bets in the world of commodities, it's just that they employ futures contracts to do so. And, and I'm not a futures expert by any means, but, you know, the CFTC manages futures in the U.S. market. And, and therefore, that's why, you know, that's kind of comes into play. I just make the point as to say that unpacking these is incredibly important, as you mentioned, not only um, the dispersion and returns that you can get. And there's there's absolutely an array. And thank you for bringing up a number of, of other great issuers who are are providing access to these markets. But the the broad array of returns certainly speaks to, um, you know, the, the breadth of the different strategies that can be employed within. And Nate, it sort of leads me to a question that I actually uh, I wanted to bounce off of you as, as a as an advisor and as a practitioner. Uh, two, twofold. One, you know, wh where do you view, um, you know, either managed futures or, or, you know, alt strategies more broadly in, in your portfolio construction? And, and have you noticed a change or a shift of, of uh, interest from your clientele or others as it relates to education around the space and, and, and wanting to uh, learn more? Both good questions. I guess first, uh, just my view on the alt space overall goes back to what we were talking about earlier with education, which is that if you don't understand the ETF, don't invest in it. Now, I think advisors have a responsibility to educate themselves on these strategies. But bottom line is, if you can't you know, uh, unpack a strategy and really get your, 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 your head around it, don't put it in a client portfolio, clearly. Now, in terms of uh, client demand, I think because... This is a more complex space. We haven't seen a lot of uh, clients asking about these strategies. Again, I think that falls on the advisor. And the way that I've always viewed alternatives in a portfolio, I do think there's a place if you understand uh, how these work. And if you're, if you're building a, a diversified portfolio, there's the, the saying out there that there should always be something in your portfolio that you hate. Right. So there should be if you're properly diversified, there's going to be periods of time when something's not working. And if you look over the past you know, decade or so, a lot of times that has been the alternative sleeve. But that's now working this year when stocks and bonds aren't. And so the point here is if you're an advisor and you're going to allocate to alternatives, I think you have to be prepared to stick with those periods of underperformance. I think that's that's rule number one. 
And and then 1A, or maybe this should be rule number one, is you have to make sure your clients can stick with those periods of underperformance. Because you can construct the best portfolio in the world, but if the client can't stick with it, it doesn't matter. And again, this gets back, we keep saying the same thing, but I just believe it's paramount in the space, and that's education. The advisor has to understand the strategies, and if they understand the strategies well enough, they can convey those to the client. And over time, I do think alts can have a, a, a good, you know, they, they can add value to a portfolio, but, but you have to be able to stick with them. You have to be able to understand the strategies. No, absolutely. I, I think those are great points, Nate. And, and so that, that idea of being able to drive home to clients um, by definition, when something is, is negatively correlated, you're, you're going to expect one to significantly outperform the other. And so at the end of the year, when you're doing your client reviews for, for you to look, if you have that within your portfolio allocation and it's down, that's actually what you were expecting. And so I think that's a concept that, that requires, uh, you know, constant reiteration. The, the, other, the other thing, maybe not to gloss over here, Nate, is as we talk about and, and maybe bring home the point of just how, um, you know, far we've come as an industry and the democratization of this type of strategy, one of the things that enables more access is price. And, and I think that uh, as I look across this you know, group of, of tickers, a number of which that you mentioned within the, like the managed future space or the alt space more broadly, a, a lot of this was accessed, you know, historically through uh, a 2% and 20% of performance or a traditional hedge fund two and 20 model. And just running a quick average on, on the TER, the, the, the total expense ratio of, of this suite of alts that we were looking at, you know, it's in the 70 to 80 BIP range. And so significantly, um, uh, redu uh, reduced price and, and accessibility. So uh, I think that's something else for us to champion as, as people uh, have more options and alternatives. Tom, we only have about a, a minute left here, but I have to ask you about the IQ Hedge multi-strategy tracker ETF ticker QAI, because I feel like this was the poster child for alternative ETFs over the past decade or so. So people looking now might view DBMF as that, but QAI was that for a long time, in my opinion. The challenge was uh, this ETF ran into a market where uh, mega cap growth stocks were flying and interest rates were low. So this thing did not perform very, very well. I ran the numbers this morning just to give you an idea. The 10 year trailing performance S&P 500 is up nearly 240 percent. QAI is up 14%, 240% to 14%. And even if you look this year, where alts are performing pretty well as, as a whole, QAI is still down 9%. And so I think some advisors and investors are saying, well, what type of environment is good <laughs> for this ETF? That said, uh, QAI does still have about $630 million in assets, still one of the largest alternative ETFs. But I I'm just curious... Because this was the uh, the flagship alt product for a long time, did, did you see anything noteworthy pop up in your, uh, your your data screens on the Vetify platform? You know, behaviorally, Nate, there, there hasn't been a huge, um, it, it actually didn't fit into that uh, big spike within the alternative space. It's actually fairly uh, flat engagement. But, but interestingly, I, I might argue that, um, you know, the folks at New York Life and, and the, you know, the Index IQ folks who built the strategy, they may have been uh, helpful in, in some of these others coming to market and, and doing some of that early education. So certainly, um, like you said, a huge dispersion in, in uh, return as, as relates to the S&P 500, but no, no massive uh, outliers as it relates to the engagement on the Vetify platform in, in QAI, no. 
No, that's a great point with uh, New York Life and the old Index IQ. No question, they help lay the uh, the tracks here in the space. I always think of the IQ merger arbitrage ETF as well, M&A. That still has over $500 million in assets. Uh, so, you know, no question they were an early player, and, and they're still a, a big player in alt ETFs. But, Tom, we're going to have to leave it there. Great having you back on the podcast. I was looking, unless something changes – I believe this is your last ETF Prime appearance of 2022. So if I don't talk to you before, then uh, enjoy the holiday season. Hey, Nate, thanks so much. I appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Bye for now. That was Tom Hendrickson, Chief Product and Innovation Officer at Vetify. This week's episode is brought to you by Goldman Sachs Asset Management ETFs. Smart investments made simple. Learn more at gsam.com ETFs. Alps Distributors, Inc. is a distributor of the Goldman Sachs ETF funds. My next guest is Zhang Bui, head of U.S. exchange-traded products at NASDAQ, who currently lists about 525 exchange-traded products with nearly $1.2 trillion in assets. And Zhang is responsible for developing and executing the strategic vision for their entire ETP business. And she's now on the line with me from New York. Zhang, always a uh, pleasure. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Nate. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Well, how's everything uh, been with the uh, the ETF or ETP business at NASDAQ this year? Yeah, it's been a very busy year. I can't believe how quickly it's flown by, but we've been investing significantly into our ETF business. We've added some really tremendous people to our team. We've tripled the size of our team to better support client relationships, capital markets, operations, data, and marketing. We really built some great momentum in growing our ETF footprint. We've added about over a, about 100 new ETPs to our market, including new launches and transfers. In fact, we're leading the exchanges in number of transfers to our market this year. Um, and we've welcomed close to 20 new issuers to NASDAQ, and they really range from new issuers to ex- established issuers that are doing business with NASDAQ for the first time. Um, we've been really focused on our liquidity programs as well as structural changes to promote market quality so that when an investor's order is on exchange, they're receiving the best execution possible. Um, So we continue to make enhancements to our ETF liquidity programs that really focuses on spreads, depth of book, and engagement into the auctions and have implemented a number of different investor protection changes around the auctions for ETF to really improve that auction collars or price threshold for which an ETF order can be accepted into the auction. And then lastly, investor education continue to be very important to us. We've worked with many of our partners on a lot of education materials and uh, webinars around ETF. So overall, a really great year, a very busy year. Um, but yeah, can't believe we're already at the end of October, uh, I, end of November. <laughs> I can't either. And, you know, to your point on the growth, I think we've seen that across the uh, the ETF space. And we can talk more about that just if you look at inflows and product launches. But mm-hmm. that, that data point you put out there, you know, some over 100 uh, new listings on NASDAQ. I mean, I remember we didn't talk that long ago. I think you were around 425. Now at 525 uh, ETP listings, it is remarkable. So, okay, over the next uh, several weeks on this podcast, I will be looking back on the year that was in ETFs. I'm looking ahead to next year. 
And I thought, given the uh, unique perch that you have with your role at NASDAQ, you were the perfect person to, to kick this off. So you're going to get first crack here. <laughs> um, I'd love to have you start by uh, looking back on 2022. I, I'm just curious, what stood out to you on the, uh, uh, on the ETF side? If you had to highlight two or three ETF areas or, or stories, what has most caught your attention this year? Yeah, well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored to kick off your 2022 <laughs> look back. But really, what a year it's been. We've experienced so many events impacting our personal lives, but also our professional lives. Like you can name a lot of them. Russian invasion of Ukraine, economic uncertainty, inflation, return to office. We've also seen in the U.S. market, ETP surpassing 3,000 listings for the first time. And we were at the 2,000 mark only five years ago. So you really see this growth in number of products that are coming to market. And as you said, you know, ETF inflows is still very strong. We're about uh, $570 billion inflows this year. So we're on track to be our second best year ever. And that's compared to the $790 billion of outflows in mutual funds that they're experiencing. So you really see the demand with the ETF wrapper. Like that's what I've really shown in 22. During this, uh, this market, you're really seeing that investors are realizing the versatility of ETFs. They can be used for access vehicles, as building blocks within model portfolios, as tax loss harvesting tools. Um, so you, it really, you continue to really see that, that strength in the ETF wrapper. Um, we've also seen significant volatility in the crypto markets. But what you really have seen is the crypto-related ETFs performing as designed. They're tracking the movement of the underlying assets the way they're designed to. Specifically, when you're looking at the Bitcoin futures fund, you know, such as the Valkyrie Bitcoin strategy product, um, in the news around FTX, we, you saw volumes in these funds spike, but you see really strong liquidity there. Um, spreads were very tight, which really reinforced the, the the story that ETF is resilient. They become a vehicle for liquidity during times of stress. And then finally, when I think about 22, I really have to think about the SEC and FINRA is something top of mind for me. There's various proposals and requests for comments that have come out over the past year that can impact ETF product development, sales, and trading. So it's been a very active regulatory year as well. Zhang, we'll look ahead to uh, 2023 in a moment, but you mentioned flows. And as we were saying earlier, it is remarkable. I mean, nearly $600 billion into ETF so far this year, despite the markets, both, both stocks and bonds, that's going to end up as the second best year ever behind uh, last year. I think we could see over a trillion dollars in inflows next year if the markets cooperate. Do, do you think that's uh, realistic or am I off base there? I, we were very close last year, you know, um, so I, I mean, I think there's a lot of projections about the growth of the ETF market. There's a recent PWC report that says ETPS is going to double to 13 trillion in the next three to four years. So, I mean, I think one trillion is very realistic. It's more of a when will we hit that number? And I'm hopeful that it's going to be next year. No, I agree. What about on uh, on new launches? Obviously, NASDAQ works very closely with ETF issuers who are uh, listing new products. Are there any... Uh, trends you've picked up on here or anything else noteworthy standing out to you on the new launch front? Yeah, so we've been seeing record number of new launches over the past two years. We're a little bit slower than last year, but it's still pretty significant. Close to 400 new launches have come to market year-to-date from over 100 issuers. What we've seen is more than half of the launches year-to-date have been active, fully transparent ETFs. 
So you really have seen the growth of active in the recent years. There was only $100 billion in actively managed ETF assets in 2019, and that has now tripled to over $300 billion, and that's expected to grow. Like we're still in very early stages of active management for ETFs. Investors are starting to look for alternatives to reach their investment goals versus you know, beta exposure. And what you've seen a lot of the new entrants that are coming to the ETF market, you know, big asset managers, firms that were mutual fund managers are launching active ETFs. So we're um, we're anticipating much more growth around actively managed products. In terms of what type of ETF strategies are being launched, thematics and ESG continues to be very strong trends. Just given the, the market environment, you've also seen a lot of income generating type of products or treasuries or downside protection type of products. Um, we've also seen a trend of l- launches that are for very targeted or specific exposure. So this year you saw the first of its type ETF to come to the market in the U.S. providing exposure to one stock or one bond um, or more concentrated baskets. So you really see that you know, from a product development standpoint, there's really been uh, a lot of new innovation as well. Yeah, and to your last point, I think that's certainly one of the ETF stories of the year with a single stock and single bond ETFs coming to market. And if you look at those single bond ETFs that are out there, those are doing pretty well from a uh, in, 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 in asset flow yeah. perspective thus far. So I think there's going to be a real audience for those. I think the single stock ETFs, those are going to be driven by the market more than anything. Obviously, company-specific uh, events and news. And given the market this year, I you know I think assets maybe are a little bit lighter than what would have otherwise been expected. But I think if the market turns, you'll see uh, you'll see flows into those products. What, one thing I'm uh, I, I thought would be helpful here, Zhang, do you want to explain Nasdaq's role in, in all of this? Like, how exactly do you work with ETF issuers on bringing new products to market? I always like covering this because I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of an exchange's role here. Yeah, so in NASDAQ, we support the issuer throughout the whole life cycle of the ETF. So from a pre-launch to when it launches and trades, and we provide support there. And then post-launch, um, you know, all the things that we support from an ongoing compliance and marketing and distribution. But we really think of our team as an extension of the issuer's team, which is why it was so important for us to invest into our depth of bench. Um, so we provide guidance on the regulatory path to bring a product to market, provide insights into the competitive landscape. You know, what are we seeing in terms of market trends? You know, a lot of things that we're talking about today, uh, also facilitating conversations with market-making firms and helping uh, source liquidity for the ETFs when it comes to market, because that's the exchange-traded piece is a very important part of an ETF. So we want to make sure that investors who are looking to make allocations to the ETF get the best experience possible. And then marketing and distribution is very important for an ETF. Now that there's 3,000 ETFs in the market, how can we help our issuers reach a wider audience, really help tell their story? So we strategize with issuers on marketing and distribution plans and also investor education, especially if it's a new asset class that they're providing exposure to. Like, How can we work with issuers on educating the investors about that asset class? an issue really choose to work with us because that alignment with the with the issuers in terms of our brand about promoting innovation and investing for the future and you know ETF has really been a great of democratizing access to a lot of different uh, financial uh, instruments and asset classes. Yeah, I always love highlighting that just because I think people you know hear about an exchange like Nasdaq and they think oh that's just where ETFs or securities are bought and sold. They don't know about everything that goes on behind the scenes in terms of how you are helping drive 
uh, product development and that regulatory and legal support and the, the marketing and distribution support you mentioned. And then certainly, you know, ensuring that there is, uh, you know, good good liquidity and, and, and execution quality on the underlying products. I just I always love highlighting that. Um, OK, let's look ahead now. Uh, I'm curious, as you begin to look to 2023, I know we still have a month left here in 2022, but as you look ahead to 2023, what are a few uh, ETF areas you'll be watching? Or if you'd like, you can also offer an ETF prediction or two. Those are always welcome, but don't feel uh, <laughs> obligated. Yeah, I mean, the next month is going to fly by and we're going to be in 2023. But I th- I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the continued growth for the ETF market. And, you know, really, hopefully we hit that 13 trillion quicker than 2026, um, as some of these reports are estimating the growth to be. And hopefully we'll see that one trillion in, in, in flows next year. Um, but I think conversions will continue into 2023. And that's going to be one of the drivers to ETF asset growth. Um, you know, you're, we're talking about mutual fund to ETF conversions. Uh, we've seen Fidelity is one of the newest issuers to file for their plans for conversions, and you know, we're excited to be working with them uh, on, on those conversions. But also this year, we've seen a number of, of SMAs being converted into ETFs. Um, so we'll likely continue to see that happening in 23, which will allow RAs to convert their taxable SMAs into ETFs for better tax and operational efficiencies. Um, Looking at the more regulatory side and market structure side, there's likely going to be significant equity market structure proposal coming imminently, could be during the holiday season, giving a lot of folks in the industry a a nice holiday reading around um, the SEC proposals. Uh, But the SEC chair, Gensler, has laid out areas of driving greater efficiencies, particularly for retail investors around pricing increments, the national best bid and offer, best execution, order competition, PFOB rates, uh, rebates, fees. So there's a lot of unknowns in what the final proposal would look like, but anything that impacts equity trading is going to have an Im- impact on ETF trading. So that's something that we're going to be watching very closely um, and spending a lot of time on. And then finally, we talked about you know the economic uncertainty. Like, will we see a recession next year? An economic downturn would likely impact the ETF pipeline. But just looking back 10 years ago in 08, 09, while we saw the number of launches decrease and liquidations increase, the overall number of USTPEs continued to grow, and there were still net inflows into ETFs during that time frame. AUM still grew. So a lot has changed um, in the past decade. The, the ecosystem has really matured and grown and really proved its resiliency. So we're, you know, I'm, see, I'm excited to see what's going to happen in 23, and ETF issuers are known to be very creative when it comes to product development in order to respond to their investors' needs. Um, so the, um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of new things that we'll be able to see in 23. Okay, so uh, earlier you mentioned Bitcoin futures ETFs. You cracked open the door, so I'm now just going to push <laughs> it wide open. In, in in what you just talked about looking ahead to 2023, you mentioned uh, some of the, the potential regulatory changes and, and certainly new products coming to market. So every time you have joined me on this podcast, uh, I have asked you about a spot Bitcoin ETF because I know NASDAQ has tried to help push things along here. So before I let you go, any new uh, thoughts or insight into this? Do you feel like things are more difficult now with the FTX situation and some of the other stuff we've seen in crypto this year? W- where do you think a spot Bitcoin ETF stands? Yeah, I think the, the SEC's concern continues to be around investor protection and how do you prevent fraud and manipulation. And you know what I, what I have seen around the FTX event is 
the ETF structure really proved its resiliency once again, even for cryptocurrency. Um, you know, the, as we talked about, the Bitcoin futures product became a source of liquidity during the market stress event. Um, but, you know, the SEC still has concerns over uh, investor protection and manipulation. So there's going to be there's a need for more regulatory certainty and clarity before, you know, before we, we see any additional movement. Um, and, you know, I'm, there, there are a lot of talks about a, a broader regulatory framework for crypto. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, and for listeners, a spot Bitcoin ETF in 2023 will not be one of my uh, predictions this year. But Zhang, <laughs> I always enjoy having you on the podcast. Fantastic insight this week. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That was Zhang Bui, head of U.S. Exchange Traded Products at NASDAQ. And now a word from iShares. The shift to a low-carbon economy is changing the way people invest. iShares sustainable ETFs help you position your portfolio to manage sustainability-related opportunities and risks, such as climate change. Get your share of progress at iShares.com sustainable. Visit iShares.com to view a prospectus which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully before investing. Risk includes principal loss. There is no guarantee any fund will exhibit positive or favorable sustainability characteristics. Prepared by BlackRock Investments, LLC. I'm now joined by Christoph Gleisch, President and Chief Investment Officer of Harbor Capital Advisors, who has a very unique ETF lineup, which we'll get into. Uh, currently 11 ETFs, nearly $650 million in assets, and they didn't launch their first ETF until September of last year. So they've only been in the ETF market for a, a little over a year now. And I should note that eight of those 11 ETFs just launched this year, including the uh, Harbor Healthcare ETF, which debuted a couple of weeks ago. So uh, very impressive. And Christoph is now joining me from Chicago. Christoph, welcome to the podcast. Nate, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so my sense is there are a number of investors and advisors who may not be familiar with Harbor. But you look, I mean, you currently manage around $45 billion in assets, and you are quietly building out a very impressive ETF presence. Uh, I show about $400 million in inflows just this year. I'd love to have you start by just giving us a quick introduction as to who Harbor is and why you got involved in the ETF space. Sure. Yeah, as you mentioned, we're a rapid new entrant into the ETF marketplace. Uh, you know, one thing I'd like to say is we, we may be quiet today, but we, we hope many more people are going to hear our, our story <laughs> as we think we've got a really interesting one to tell. But, you know, as it relates to Harbor, just a quick bit of background. Over our firm's 35-year uh, history, we've a proven track record of picking and partnering with world-class uh, boutique investment managers and delivering strong risk-adjusted returns across public markets, um, really across asset classes like equities, fixed income, and commodities. Uh, historically, we've had more of a if you like, institutional focus on clients through other vehicles like mutual funds and collective investment trusts and things like that. Um, and that's where the bulk of our assets is. So what we decided last year was to enter the ETF marketplace, um, you know, very strategically, but quite quickly as well. So we've taken that same template um, that we've really had over 35 years of our history of identifying world-class boutique money managers 
But now we're democratizing them to the everyday investor in fully transparent, actively managed ETFs. You know, we, why do we get into this market? I mean, simply put, we believe ETFs are, are both the present and the future of investing and carry many advantages over other vehicles. So I was looking, the first two ETFs you launched last year were the Harbor Scientific Alpha ETF, ticker SIFI, SIFI, and the Harbor Scientific Alpha High Yield ETF, ticker SIHY, so SIHI. Uh, tell us about those two ETFs and, and why you started w- with those. Sure. So, um, and, and maybe this will be revealing about how we think. Firstly, I think, you know, as investors, to maintain an edge and to deliver strong risk-adjusted returns, you've constantly got to be innovating as an investor. And one thing that we look for and we hold ourselves accountable to is this notion of continuous improvement. It doesn't mean chasing the latest fad. It just means how can you maintain uh, an edge on a go-forward basis? Because you know markets are incredibly efficient and incredibly competitive. So let's go back to Sci-Hi and Sci-Fi, and I'll, I'll talk about Sci-Hi, which stands for Scientific Investing High Yield. That's the ticker, Sci-High. Um, it's a fixed-income high-yield ETF, and it's run by a partner firm of ours called Blue Cove, who are a systematic or scientific fixed-income manager based out of London. So, look, we think fixed-income is ripe for a different approach. You know, historically speaking, there's been, you know, a, a discretionary active approach or a passive approach to fixed-income investing. And we wanted to create a complement to both of these through a scientific or systematic approach. If you look at equities, for example, as an asset class, you know, we're all familiar with systematic or quantitative approaches within equity. And if you look at the, the rough size of the equity markets, they're about 70 trillion, seven zero trillion. And about 15% of that is run quantitatively. And, you know, quant investing in equities has been around really since the early 90s. And I'm sure many of your advisors have got exposure, whether it's through, you know, rules-based index investing or systematic quantitative investing. Um, but it hasn't happened. That same movement hasn't happened in fixed income. Um, but we believe that it will, and it's just a matter of time. So fixed income markets are roughly the same size, just a little shy of $70 trillion, But you have less of a half of 1% that's run systematically today. And we believe that's going to grow over the you know, coming decades. There's been a number of developments in technology, computer power and processing, you know, academic research and really just trading structure of fixed income market. You know, there's a lot more of this uh, fixed income that's now traded electronically, which means when you bring all of that together, you can now unlock insights and value in a way that you just simply couldn't do, you know, five years, 10 years ago. And so we partnered with Blue Cove, um, their former alum of um, BlackRock and BGI, and they were the leaders in, in this sort of scientific and systematic fixed income investing. They've decided to hang their own shingle and dedicate themselves to building the best boutique there is that focuses on this. And uh, it's off to a promising start. Um, it's the, I think, the strongest performing high-yield um, active ETF since we launched it and is uh, priced competitively versus, you know, HYG and JNK, those passive options out there and as you know, comfortably outperformed it through this volatile period so far. Christoph, you mentioned that fixed income is ripe for a different approach. And as I look through your entire ETF lineup, it looks like 
you're carrying that thought process over to the commodity space as well. And I wanted to ask you specifically about the Harbor All-Weather Inflation Focus ETF, ticker H-G-E-R, Hedger, which is a, a great ticker symbol. And look, obviously inflation has been a, uh, a big story this year, and, and investors are looking for ways to protect their portfolios. Can you just uh, briefly walk us through this ETF? I thought it was interesting. Yeah, no, sure. Um, and thanks. I think one of the things that we enjoy being in um, the ETF community is being creative and having some fun with our tickers. Um, and so we're, we're, we're proud of that. But what do, what, do, what do we do here? So look, I think what we've learned is 60-40 portfolios are challenged. Um, they are not balanced portfolios. They are balanced for a certain type of market environment that we happen to have been really in over the last 30, 40 years, which is, you know, um, moderate and, uh, inflation and really disinflation and falling interest rates. And that's all changed. And so I think advisors really need to think, uh, rethink, I'm sorry, what a balanced portfolio is. And that's really where commodities um, and other asset classes like alternatives, but um, where commodities come into play. And so we came into this year with the view um, that inflation was structurally different um, from the prior cycle. We think this sort of post-COVID 2020s era <clears throat> that we're going to be in, you know, inflation is going to be structurally higher um, and it's going to be structurally more volatile. And, and so we looked at the available kind of landscape of investor solutions, um, specifically in ETFs, and we really decided that, you know, the, the toolkit available to investors um, could be improved upon. And so we partnered with a firm uh, in Greenwich in Connecticut uh, called Quantix. Um, Quantix is a, um, a commodities solution boutique with about $2 billion, um, of assets under management. And it's founded by uh, a guy called Don Castoro, who used to run commodities trading at Goldman Sachs. Now, commodities um, trading at Goldman Sachs is a huge business. It's, they're the biggest pl uh, player um, in the market. And we worked with Don to create a really compelling uh, inflation hedge using commodities um, as the way of hedging against inflation. And so what we did is we designed uh, an index um, that is run by uh, Quantix, and the, the index is the Quantix Inflation Index. And um, really what this index does is it allocates to different commodities dynamically at different points in the inflation cycle um, and, it, and seeking to produce an outcome, a return stream that is more correlated to CPI and high inflation. Um, you know, one of the challenges with a lot of the commodity ETFs that exist today is None of them were designed specifically to be inflation hedges as the intended outcome. They were just designed to give you kind of broad-based commodities exposure um, that people then use for an inflation instrument. But we think this is a first in that it's, uh, it's specifically designed to give better protection uh, in, in inflationary environments. Christoph, to that point, uh, look, there are a number of commodity futures-based ETFs on the market. And as I looked at Hedger's holdings right now, Gold futures represent about 40% of the weighting, which is much higher than what you would typically find in other commodity futures ETFs. Those tend to be much more uh, energy heavy, I, I would say, as a whole. What's driving yeah. that gold allocation? So um, w when you look at inflation, 
all inflation environments are not born equally. They have different drivers. Sometimes it's more commodities-led. Sometimes it's more goods and services-led. Um, sometimes things are being driven because there's, you know, a demand shock or a supply shock in commodities. Or sometimes there's just too much money, um, you know, chasing too few goods and services. And you sort of have broad-based debasement um, inflation. And so the way we set this index up um, that the ETF um, hedger tracks is it's a dynamic index that allocates to different commodity sectors depending on the type of inflationary environment we're in. Um, there really are, you know, slightly oversimplistic, but a good way to describe it is there's um, two types of inflationary environments. Number one is scarcity, and number two is debasement. And scarcity means um, that there are simply not enough commodities being produced for the given level of demand. And debasement essentially means there's just too much money um, swirling around the system. And depending on what type of environment we're in, and we look at a number of different uh, proprietary indicators like economic strength, um, the level of backwardation or contango in commodity markets, you know, are you paying or being paid to own certain commodities? Um, and we've sort of flexed and dynamically weight the uh, weighting to gold as a result of that. And what some of those indicators are telling us is, you know, some of the economic indicators are weakening. Um, it's likely that this uh, environment of dollar strength that we've had is, um, is coming to an end. And that's all setting up quite nicely that, you know, gold relative to other commodities uh, should do quite well. And so it's allocating about 40% at the moment to gold. It gets rebalanced every quarter. Um, and so we'll see what happens in, in Q1. But at the moment, we think a 40% allocation within commodities um, is, is the right way to be positioned. We think advisors and investors broadly are, are number one underweight commodities as an asset class because it's a, it's a really tricky asset class to navigate. And number two, within commodities, we think that investors are probably um, underweight gold as well. Christoph, to that first point, and, and we just have a few minutes left here. Uh, it, it's interesting. I was visiting with uh, Vetify's Tom Hendrickson earlier, and we were talking about alternative ETFs, which I think you could certainly uh, place commodities into that bucket if, if yeah. you'd like. But um, I can tell you in talking to a number of advisors, they really struggle with allocating to commodities. And I think the reason for that is commodities tend to be viewed as more of a tactical play just because they, they don't generate dividends or interest. They can go long time, uh, long periods of time underperforming. How do you think advisors should approach commodities as part of a diversified portfolio? Do you think they should be more tactical or is an ETF like Hedger something that can be bought and held? Yeah, I think uh, I, the, the punchline is that um, Hedger is an ETF that, can, that could be and should be bought and held. Um, the challenge with commodities is there, um, I think they're complicated, it's a complicated asset class, it's a less covered asset class, and it's a more technical asset class. And to, to, to successfully allocate to commodities, you've got to get the fundamental call right, which means which commodities do you hold in what size. But then you've got to get the technical call right, which means how do you allocate to commodities, which instruments do you use? Because, um, you know, for storage, purposes really you can't buy the physical um it's not like an equity where you just you go out and you buy the shares and you own the shares you can't do that with commodities so you have to you have to buy derivatives or futures 
And that's where the technical sort of piece and analysis comes in. How far out along the curve do you want to be? Um, are you being paid to be out on the curve or paying to be out on the curve? There's really a fundamental and technical um, backdrop that you need to get right. And then you need to dynamically change those weights through time. And if you do that um, uh, in a disciplined and systematic way, um, we think you can earn you know, healthy returns and diversification benefits uh, from commodities through an approach like Hedger. Christoph, just about a minute left here. Obviously, we don't have time to go through all of your ETFs. We'll have to have you uh, back on uh, to, to talk about some of those. But I mentioned you do have a very unique lineup. So is there an ETF or two you, you, you might highlight, or even if you just want to offer a few comments on the lineup as a whole? Yeah, I'd, I'd say we're, we're constantly striving to innovate and look for ways that are going to produce strong risk-adjusted returns on a go-forward basis. Um, one ETF I'll give a shout-out to is um, HAPI, H-A-P-I, which is the corporate culture, the Harbor Corporate Culture ETF. We've partnered with a um, world-famous behavioral economist, Dan Ariely, who's an expert on understanding you know, human decision-making and motivation in the workplace. And what we've managed to do, again, with a, a big data and systematic um, approach, is measure corporate culture. You know, every CEO in the world says their number one asset is what? Their people. Um, and yet people are not accounted for as an asset on a balance sheet. And so what we try to do is creatively get at a, um, an accounting anomaly that exists, which is what really active management is, is all about, is exploiting inefficiencies. Um, and we just had a large institutional uh, investor, actually the state of Wisconsin, one of the largest pension plans in the country, just allocated uh, about $210 million to it a couple of weeks ago, which we're uh, very, uh, very pleased about. And I think it's an indication and validation that as an alpha stream focusing on superior human capital and businesses that do the best job of investing in their number one asset, their people tend to outperform over the long run. No, I think that's an excellent example of, uh, of, of what your ETF lineup offers, as well as the success you're having uh, thus far. So congratulations on that. I certainly look forward to continue tracking uh, your ETFs moving forward. Thank you for joining me this week, Christoph. Nate, thank you so much for having me. That was Christoph Gleisch, President and Chief Investment Officer of Harbor Capital Advisors. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. I want to thank one of our sponsors, John Hancock Investment Management. To learn more about John Hancock Investment Management ETFs, visit jhinvestments.com ETF. Next week, I'll be joined by Brett Winton, Chief Futurist at ARK Invest. He's going to discuss the uh, challenging market environment for disruptive tech stocks this year and look ahead to 2023. And then Sylvia Jablonski, CEO and CIO of Defiance ETFs, will spotlight the daily short Digitizing the Economy ETF, which is essentially uh, an inverse blockchain ETF. So pretty good timing to cover that one. Until then, have a great week, everyone. Growth and innovation. Two words that best describe the ETF industry. However, rapid growth and innovation creates a critical need for financial advisors and industry practitioners, education. Enter the ETF Institute, the first and only independent organization providing industry professionals and financial advisors with certification, education, and training on ETFs. 
Learn more about the Certified ETF Advisor designation by visiting CETF.org.